Today, many Jewish families don't send their children to private Jewish day school. Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply cannot afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita can help. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive up to four online lessons each week and also participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. For the coming school year, Kita offers two plans. In the Chumash and Navi plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Chumash Shmot and Navi Shmuel Aleph, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. In the Mishnah and Gemara plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. Registration is now open for the fall of 2022, which begins on August 29th. Is your family new to Kita? You can register for a two-week trial at no cost. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Welcome to a new edition, finally, a new edition of RZ. I can't even say the word weekly. It's been so long. RZ. RZ something. We need a new title. It's not of RZ, not weekly. Um, welcome back. I guess we'll call it RZ Summer Edition. My name is Ruvain Spalter. Love I'm uh, here with Harab like Johnny Solomon. Harab Johnny, I, I, it's been so long. Have you changed? Has your bio changed since we last spoke? Something new? Yeah, I think it has. Well, there's been whatever. We'll, we'll update it next time, but there's been some changes. I'm very much still the virtual rabbi. You're the virtual rabbi, he, you know, available for consultations. You're, you've you've concluded for now, from what I understand, your seminary um, teaching positions. Is that an accurate description? Not not quite, but we're still in negotiation with one that just recently changed the goalposts. That's why next time. The next virtual time. rabbi is in flux. So, um, <laughs> It's great. It's the great virtual rabbis. No, the virtual rabbi is always a virtual rabbi. But the Everything virtual else rabbi does make, does make house calls to your community. If you want to bring the virtual rabbi to you for a scholar in residence, you could be literal, oh, not that's virtual. True. That is true. That is true. That is true. Haramanit Mali Bravsky. Haramanit Mali Bravsky. How you been? How's okay. it going? You're doing all right. Baruch Hashem. Haramanit Mali Bravsky is a social worker and educator. Are you, going, are you back full time now in, in your seminaries next year? Next year, also, like Johnny, things are some things in the works, but yes, I'm going to be at MM1 next year. Some things in the works. I love that. Okay, so all of you are wondering, you're, you know, we'll leave us in suspense. I am Ruben Spolter, as I said. I work at Herzog Academic College. We create amazing content for teachers, and um, as well as uh, I, I, I am the director and founder of Kita, an online learning platform for middle aged kids, middle, middle, middle school, not middle aged, middle school students. <laughs> We're doing this all without us. We need that too. I do. I deal with the middle age. You deal with the middle. You school. do the middle age. Okay. I do the middle okay. school. Um, I actually, guys, I sent you a text. I was at the. I was at the Anna Museum. You were all like on vacation, so too busy to answer me. Johnny, have you been to the Anna Museum? 
No, but as it happens, the day before you sent me that text, I was on its website. So uh, it was very Molly, have you been there? No. Oh, I so want to go. I saw with the you text. I was so want to go. We have to plan a trip and then do a podcast or like. Did you know we should do a live stream? We should do a YouTube live stream. Uh, you're into live streams. I mean, the only problem with live streams is you're gonna have to build up audiences. But we have to talk about that. You well, must, we can record it and then Molly, and you must live go to this museum. We'll do it as a live stream. Museum. Tell I people and then wait. we'll. I like. I just it. want to be there to see Molly's I'm gonna like, lose my mind. reactions. I don't know if you will. So, you know, it's very interesting, really, really interesting, and so much to talk about. Really, so much to talk about. Anywho, okay, that's a little bit of a foreshadowing for future. Yeah, we will be doing this. I just have no idea when at what point. Uh, if you have other museums and places you think we should visit live, <laughs> and you want to watch send that, us. send Molly send an us. email. Okay. Uh, today, like, by the way, like Bob Adels is nice museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, not limited. I actually want to go to the British Museum, if you want to know. And I, I, you know. No, they should send us on like a kosher cruise so we can talk about, you know, modern orthodoxy. Oh my gosh, we should do that. Yeah, kosher cruise. I love it. Cruise, uh, cruise operators. We people have been reaching out to us to join our podcast. (laughs) So, you know, why not some some shame the self promotion on the RZ? Okay, today we're going to talk about. We're going to use as a springboard an article written a few weeks ago by Harav Chaim Nabon, famous rabbi, leader, publicist. He called it Mitza Savta, and he wrote about the fact, the phenomenon it is. It was in the Korishon. Yeah, we should clarify it. Thank you. Yeah. In the Korishon newspaper. He wrote about the fact, the phenomenon, or the reality, that a large number of religious Zionist kids who go to Yeshiva and Uponot simply don't get up in the morning. And, and, uh, and uh, basically, the t- they stay up all night with their friends, or they're on their phones, or they're watching videos. And basically, they get up in the summer, he says, i.e., in the, t- in the afternoon hours. And he says, like, he laments. He says, what, ha- like, what happened to the Shulchan Aruch? What happened to Zmanet Tefillah? These are religious kids. You know, and it used to be that you ha- there was an expectation. You should get up in the morning. And for some reason... We as parents, and I include myself in this, and I, I'll, I'll, you know, I can talk about it after you, after we hear from you. I kind of like we have sort of, you know, harimut yadayim. We sort of like given up in a sense this battle, and we, it's not, it's, it's a priority, but like it's important. It's important to us, I think, but we, we don't fight about it anymore. And Rav Navon, his conclusion in the article, and if anybody wants it, I can send you a copy, a, a picture of it. Rav Navon Kaluz, he says. Basically, we've turned into our grandparents. He said, like, you know, it used to be like when you were at your home, then you just had to get up. But when you went to Saba and Safta's house, like, oh, whatever you want, you know, you want chocolate cake for breakfast. You don't have to do anything. No rules. And by the way, I never had that. Oh, guess with my Zeta, it was like that. He didn't care when we got up and he bought us uh, chocolate ice cream and all that. Herring, too. But, you know, like, like we've all turned into <laughs> our grandparents. And he said, it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not appropriate. And so... I thought about this. And first of all, so there's the specific issue Rab Chaim refers to, which is davening in general, specifically, which is a challenge for any parent and any educator. It really is a challenge for many kids and many parents and many B'nai Noir, davening either in shul or at home. But to me, this speaks to a much, much larger issue. And, and, and it, it, it's a much, much broader issue that, of parenting in general. Parenting as well as education in that we now feel, it seems like, we are basically grandparents. We don't want to force kids to do really anything. We want them to come to their own conclusions. Why should I force them to go to davening? You know, if, if they don't want to daven, what can I make them daven? You know, I can make them sit there, but what would, what would be the point? I don't want to force them to learn Gemara. I don't want to force them to you know, do whatever. We become our grandparents in a sense. Our schools have become grandparents in a sense. 
we want to entice them, but we don't really want to force them. It's kind of a haskama, we would call it. And I didn't grow up that way. Johnny, you'll tell me if you grew up that way. I was expected to be in davening, and I did it, and, or I didn't do it, but it was expected, and I understood that expectation. I don't ever remember going to class as being optional. I just don't remember it. Like it was when I went to high school. I don't know when you guys went to high school. Was it was it optional, Molly, when you went to high school? Do you have the answer? Yes or no? Did you ever think no. like, man, eh, I don't feel like going to class today. I'm not going to go. No. No. Right. And that's clearly how kids think about their high school classes. In at least in our schools, maybe in America it's different. So Johnny, do you agree with Chaim Navon's um, description with of this phenomenon? A vis-a-vis davening, and B. Do you, you think that it applies to a, a, in a larger sense in some way? And if you do, what's happening? Don't, don't diagnose it. Don't, I mean, diagnose it. Don't solve the problem yet. I just want to know what's going on. What has changed that has really so strongly affected the way we parent as opposed to the way our parents parented us? Okay, so you've spoken about tefillah, but... What you didn't mention is how Chaim Navon says in this article that he's seen a certain shift happening in recent years. Meaning, we all know, if, if it wasn't us, it was our friends, teenagers who like to sleep in late. We know that that's often part of the culture of teenager, uh, teenagers and teenagehood. But what he seems to suggest is, in the religious Zionist world, especially in Israel, that was not really the way things were. Why? Because there were high expectations, because, and what he doesn't say explicitly is, most people weren't that financially well off. So life wasn't so comfortable, you could just stay at home and everything would be done. You'd have to get out and do things. There was an expectation to get out of your bed, get out of your house, including prayer, but also including of doing things. It reminds me, just a couple of days ago, I had a conversation with my daughter. They were trying to show some movie in the Sniff in Benakiva. Uh, near our place. So she was trying to come up with some kind of technical solution. Generally, it's not her job. So I said, so, you know, what's a Wi-Fi there? She said, of course, there's no Wi-Fi there. If there was Wi-Fi, people would spend time on their phones. The whole idea of Sniff is you spend time with people, meaning what they've created, the Banakiva Sniff, is a place where you can't just rely on technology. Your duty is to engage with the, uh, with the activities and with the people coming there. And if you have spent time, spent time in Ulpanot and Yeshivot, the rooms there are fairly basic, fairly bare, enough that things are comfortable, but enough to also get people to get out of bed and then go to the Bet Midrash or wherever else for your classes. And what he seems to be saying is somehow life seems to be so comfortable for a teenage religious Zionist uh, and the expectations of parents so much lower now than previously that it's okay to not just not go to prayer, but it's okay not to go to class. It's okay to wake up late. And it's as if you don't feel you're missing out. And he believes there's something profoundly wrong in a shift in the culture, especially in the religious Zionist world, taking place here in Israel, where what used to be a get-up-and-go attitude is now just do whatever you want. From parents and teachers as well, though. Yeah, he no, seems wait, to be basically saying... Do you, what do you think? I think for a variety of reasons, uh, in many settings... Uh, we now look at students and their families as clients and not just as people we need to educate. Meaning there is, you, you tread on eggshells in terms of the, ex the extent to which you wish to educate a child beyond the content that you're teaching them. 
And so teachers are often quite wary to be demanding. That doesn't mean, by the way, they shouldn't be, but they're wary to be so more than perhaps any other time. And parents are also wary of being demanding because uh, teenagers have a, a greater sense of confidence now than perhaps they did in, in previous decades. Wait, so you, and wait so, second. Yeah, you, you, the you tectonic say, plates have shifted in terms of the, shall I say, power dynamics and expectations from teachers and parents uh, and teenagers. Wait, you explained that it's based on a sense of confidence. Why would that... Why would that detract from a parent's sense of, I don't know, obligation to raise your child to a sense of responsibility and obligation? Because the shift between uh, rights versus responsibilities of the teenager uh, and in terms of the relationship between the parent and the teenager has shifted for, for a variety of reasons, which, you know, I, I put it this way, I'm not sufficiently qualified to diagnose. Oh, we're going to unpack that rights seen. versus responsibilities. Right. That you just said. We, we, we've certainly seen second. this. But nevertheless, if you, let's say you've got a student who's in, let, imagine I'm a teacher in Yeshiva High no, School. I want parents. I'm a more interested in parents. Okay, fine. I mean, well, I, I, Yeshiva High School, I could way. say, like, the kid's going to complain. You know, you can, I can understand it's your job and who needs it and all that. Fine. But I'm talking about a parent and their own child. Right, but parents have outsourced a lot of the job of educating to schools. And they often feel that their primary responsibility is happiness. And of course, listen, I, I adore my kids and I, my absolute uh, uh, mission is to make sure they're happy. But happy isn't just short term, it's long term. And therefore, I sometimes have to put demands on my students on the short term so that they will be happy in the long term. But we're living in a fast food culture where we often don't think long term. And so if I'm going to aggravate and agitate this child right now, many parents, not all, will say, I don't want to have that battle. And so they, in many ways, they win that battle, but lose the war. And I, I can tell you from speaking to lots of people, both friends and through this work that I do as a virtual rabbi, that's happening. They're winning battles and losing wars, meaning many teenagers feel I'm happy at certain points because people are leaving me alone. But later on, they say, but why didn't somebody say something? And that's where things are at. Molly, I at feel like Johnny just sort it. of like... Gave you a fat softball to, to hit out of the park. Exactly. And I don't, not she gave me 16 fat, fat softballs. I'm not sure. Right, okay. I've got rights versus responsibilities. I've got outsourcing. And I've got, I've got um, immediate happiness yeah. versus long term. Which one yeah. do you want to, which fastball do you want to Oh, hit? I want all of them. I want all okay, of them. Okay. So, so one, by, I, one by one. <laughs> okay. So, I, um, I, first of all, I think that for sure, I think a lot of, I mean, I think this has been part of the uh, conversation in the culture for a while now um, about, you know, what's been happening and how it's been affecting our children um, in, in terms of raising them, in terms of the larger cultural shifts. Okay, so, so a couple of things have happened. I think parenting has changed. Um, I think like um, even starting, seeds were planted in the 60s and then it moved through the 70s and the 80s where the move shifted from a, a much more disciplinarian, authoritarian approach to a much more... Um, let's call it mechil in Hebrew, um, accepting, empowering, um, self-actualizing approach. Um, and I think that, that that's one piece of it, which is a very specific parenting piece. I think that in general, our culture has put a much greater emphasis, this maybe goes to the rights and responsibilities, on self-actualization, individual, individual um, empowerment, individual um, expression, self-expression, um, as opposed to um, 
you know, your duties and your obligations, right? Like, and that I think is a rights and responsibilities thing, right? You have a right, right? Right, that's like, you know, Declaration of Independence. That gives my right to, to what's it called? The pursuit of happiness. We just, right, life, liberty. Yeah. And the life, pursuit liberty, of the happiness. pursuit of happiness, right? So this idea that like, it's my right to be happy. Um, and and, and that, has, that has become very much um, ex- expressed as like, being who I who I want and need to be, I think the um, the relativization of truth um, is is a part of this. Also, there isn't the truth. There's my truth. There isn't any one truth, um, which, which has also chipped away at at a sense of objective meaning. Which, and 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 I think that Johnny is right when he talks about short term happiness versus long term happiness. I think that's that that becomes then part of the picture because let's let's say you put all these pieces together, right? And I think schools are struggling with this, right? Should I go with this whole? And again, I know some people don't like the word postmodern because it's used as like a catch-all for like so many things that it isn't really. But let's use it now for this more, you know, like I have to find my authenticity, let's say, right? And my specific truth, right? So there are some schools that have decided that like, okay, let's go with that. Let's teach our children about authenticity and embracing their own authenticity and finding their own authenticity. So what I... So all of this is fact, right? And I think all of these are contributing to... Right. Molly, one could argue even schools that don't object or explicitly go with that, they, they can't in the go air. necessarily against it. Exactly. Part of the, it right. It's part of Very the air. Few, right. So everybody has to struggle with it. Everybody has to figure out how to deal with it. Um, and then there's, I think that, that ed- education and parenting is different. I think, I think you're both right to distinguish that. Um, parenting, it, it, it's again, it's a lot... First of all, you're going against a stream of, of an entire culture, um, you, you know. I, I, okay, so this is what I, this is what I would say. I would say I think the way that I think about this is that there are two important values here, and they're both legitimate, right? Meaning, I don't want to use rights responsibilities because they're dafka. I, I think it's healthier to think about everybody thought about responsibilities um, and the, and their responsibilities to the other and making sure the other had their rights. Um, then I think we would be a healthier culture. But let's talk about the values of, uh, let's say, self-actualization and individual authenticity versus, um, you know, duties to to yourself, to the community, and to God, let's say, right? And I think that those are two competing orientations. And I, I what I believe is that they both have value. But probably um, the way that we should think about it is if we're in a culture that's overly strong on one side, we, sh- we should probably be pushing against the stream on the other side without totally, um, you know, like, what's the pasuk in uh, Kohelet? You know, hold one in one hand, but don't completely let go of the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's really, I know that I'm getting into answers here before I'm diagnosing the problem, but I think that that's, that's really, I think what, to me, I think, how I view this, right? By the way, meaning, why am I saying that? Because I read Chaim's article, and I totally think he's correct that the culture is, that there's a cultural problem, right? But I didn't love that he, like, jumped from, like, oh, my God, we're not waking up our children to, like, you know, um, the kid who says the ma'arechet needs to serve me, I don't need to serve them. The Ma'arechet, right? That was his example, which I thought was a good one, right? Where he talks about in the school, where the kid says, like, the job of the school is to serve me. My, it's not my job to serve the Ma'arechet, right? Why did I, 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 I'm just kind of going through my own self-process to show the complexity here, right? Because I think that to say 
it's it's all you, you must always wake up your child and you never let them sleep it's too black and white you need to know your kid you need to understand teenagers we've had conversations about teens sometimes it's the right thing to let the kids sleep right as a parent i think and again this is i think what we're saying here like we, you have to find that way to yes be as i've said i said before not author not permissive and not authoritarian but yes authoritative which means you have very clear values you have very clear expectations you have messages and meaning that you want to send to your children. And I think Johnny's right. You're thinking about their happiness, but you're not thinking about their immediate happiness. You're thinking about their long-term happiness, and you're therefore educating them as to why sometimes short-term sacrifice is going to lead to long-term happiness. But you're doing that all in a way we are also understanding and validating the short-term sacrifice. And maybe sometimes you're going to make room their needs because you don't want to totally quash that individual that individuation right so you know like to be black and white about waking up in the morning is not where i would kind of plant my flag so mm -hmm. that's like it's a place where i would say like it's very individual um and it's up to the individual parent and i think that individual parents need to be i agree with you i don't think they should be abdicating their responsibility and just letting all hell break loose but i also um don't think, I think that some, there's a time and a place to also have, you know, make space for your kid. See, it's really, yeah, it's him. really Let me just finish my sentence. Uh -huh. Yeah, sorry. That, that as a larger cultural phenomenon, I think he's very right. And I think that we do need to be pushing back against this permissive culture. And I, I, I do think that, let's say, a school that decides, let, let me say it this way, it's less my cup of tea, a school that decides, well, let's just go with the whole postmodernist thing. Let's just, like, you know, empower them. And we're going to, we're going to, like, explain to them that they have to find their own place in Torah and their own truth in Torah. I think our educationally and also, again, obviously as parents, we have to also be very clear and say we do believe in, 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 in truth. We do believe in meaning. We do believe in values. Um, this is what I believe. So it's interesting. I wasn't even going there. You, you took it. It's very interesting. You took it in terms of belief. I'm more in terms of like doing your homework. Or getting it to okay, but that's Ruth. a belief. I'm saying what's going to build you. What I believe is going to build you into being a healthy person. I believe that if you if you teach yourself how to be disciplined now in eighth grade, it will serve. You. I remember when I when I told my kids like I don't care what your grades are. The only reason I care that you learn how to have an ethic of working hard is because probably when you get to university, it'll serve you better to to know how to work hard and to do well. Right? Meaning, it's important to explain to the kids why you what value it is that you're trying to promote in them that you believe is going to build them into a uh, a quote unquote. Jeez. It's interesting I'm using the word happier. I'm using as a truly self-actualized person who knows how to dif differentiate between short-term impulses and long-term um, character, right? And I think that that's what we that's what we're trying to go for. Okay, I wanna. It's interesting. You just on the last thing you said. Why should you work hard now? Because at some point in college, you're gonna have to work hard. Like I, I personally, and then you said something different. You said character, which means why should you work hard now? Because a person should learn to actualize themselves to the best of their ability. That's what I mean. I'm saying when you say that in eighth grade, that's shorthand for a kid to say, I want to build you, I want to build a new character and discipline that will serve you as a trait. Okay. That, I assume that's what you meant. Anyway, yeah. um, I want to go back to, like, like, we sort of want to unpack the davening because davening is like, he started with davening and like, we can talk about the broader parenting issue uh, if you want to a little bit later. Davening is tricky. I mean, at least for me, davening is very, very tricky because in the end, what are you going to do? You're going to force your kid. You, you, you can force your kid to go to Minion. But like, I, I mean, I, I've not been bashful about saying that davening is like, especially the way it's done in, you know, in the in our shuls and not on Shabbat. 
it's not a very spiritual experience. It's it's really not. I don't know if you ever, you know, Molly, you did the minion thing. You know, we don't force. And, and then there's the issue of boys versus girls, mm-hmm. right? And girls don't have to get up on time. They don't have a chiyuv necessarily to dive in at a certain time every day. And boys have a chiyuv. It's like, a, it's a very tricky thing. So, uh, you know, if you don't mind answering, Molly, do you, I don't know, parent in such a way that that children are not just expected to daven, but there's a consequence if they don't? Um, expected I can't to... hear you. Now you're, you're muted. Something happened to your microphone. I can't hear you at all. I don't you know hear how... me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they are absolutely expected to daven. Um, are they expected to get up for minion? Um, I'll say that that's a little fuzzier. Um, and I think that... that they, um, is there a consequence if they don't? There are, there are never, I, I, there are no consequences. No consequences. The, the only, would there be a consequence if they didn't daven? I think the consequence would be um, an expression of disappointment or like, you know, what happened? Did you daven today? But I, in general, I'm, I'm not into punishments. I'm not, I, I, I mean, consequences in general, I think is a different concept than punishments, but certainly not for tefillah. Um, Johnny? That's how we do it. In my family, we are expected to pray. Uh, that's it's it, basically. I feel that there are certain non-negotiables as part of the fabric of our family. We make absolutely no uh, comment in terms of really where that is. Obviously, uh, I, I I feel a greater sense of obligation to to make it to the synagogue. But nevertheless, firstly, the past year has has made that uh, much nigh impossible, and we're starting a process of. Uh, re-engagement in that process, uh, at least in terms of the weekdays, because my wife is unwell. But in terms of our whole family, we, we daven. That's uh, that's the kind of Nakudati point in, who, in terms of who we are. But there's, there's no... I, I'm not a policeman for davening. I am an encourager of our family to be who we are and who we hope to become. Meaning it's, it's not coming from a place of force, it's coming from a place of values. It's not coming from a place of, of sternness. It's coming from a place of, as Mali said, expectations. It's not coming from a place of authority. It's coming from a place of identity. Have either of you so had, said, had the encounter our, our the experience shelf, most used shelf is where the values are nice and the killed children love your values, but, uh, you know, they also like their beds and like their sleep. Have you had that experience? And, you know, just sort of... Sure, 100%. And what it means is when they get up, they daven. Meaning... There's a battle of davening. There's a battle of davening, Bisman. And, and and it's important to know that to if davening is the ikka, then davening needs to be the ikka. And then there is the ideal, of course, a real ideal, and at times a halakhli demanded ideal of davening, Bisman. But for me, in terms of being a, a, a dad, my job is to certainly encourage the former and educate wherever possible for the latter. But the latter very much is a tafel with the former being the ikka. Absolutely. And in fact, there's rarely much conversation about time. Obviously, there is generally a time when it's time to get up, right? Why? Because it goes back to the broader point of Chaim Navon. I don't wake my daughters up if they're sleeping in late because of Darwin. I wake them up because I want to them to be industrious human beings. And included with that, within the first few things, it's Tfilah. That's how we are. There's a time we need by, by which point I expect people to be up in general, unless somebody's come home incredibly late or they're not well or anything like that, because that's that's who we are as a family. And I think what Chaim Navon is saying is that's who we were as a state for some time. There's no question that 
to be Israeli is to be hardworking. Um, very, very few people would claim that the attitude of Israeli is just to kind of be lax. You can say certain companies don't do their jobs as much as they could or certain organizations, but the average Israeli you know, culture is a gritty, hardworking culture. And what he seems to feel is we've allowed certain creature comforts and certain expectations, uh, creature comforts in and expectations lowered, that that's ebbing away from us. And though that may well be reflective of part of the broader secular society, that shouldn't be who we are as a religious Zionist world. So just in For the spirit the of... reasons uh, that we yeah. teach and preach. In the spirit of full disclosure, we have expectations. I've gone through... Uh, I used to be much more authoritarian. That's not a shock to either of you, I'm sure. Um, I, we've definitely softened, but we do have con we have expectations and consequences. Not you know there are understanding and consequences uh, because children are kids are kids, and if there are no you know how should we say this? Kids don't want to disappoint their parents, and they want to meet their parents' expectations, but they also want to sleep in, and and they also want to you know they're tired, and you know like even if they they want to get up, it doesn't always work. And sometimes I think outside. Uh, we have found that outside um, encouragement, external external motivations can can be effective in that area in order to create good habits. You know, for me, a lot of it is about a lot of getting up for davening in the morning is about trying to create good habits, trying to have you know to habituate a certain kind of behavior. And if you're not used to that, if you're just used to sleeping in, it, it doesn't you don't have it in the morning. And then when you have to get up or, or you should learn to get up, I, I I think that's a healthy habit. I really I really believe it. I really like you said. For the long term, it's obviously easier not to have those um, uncomfortable encounters where where children are chafing at being uh, at, at being disciplined. It's obviously easier, and uh, it's interesting. It's it's interesting that neither of you, but like neither of you, are in favor of 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 what I would consider any form of classical discipline in this area. Rather, it's, you know, we encourage and this is a value, but you, you do what you do. But I want to say, no, I think Johnny what? said that so, very well. Sorry. Johnny, do you want to say first? That's what no, I heard. I was going to say, there's, there's, one, there's one word that, I, that I, I missed out, which I hope, hope goes without saying, which is called modeling. Meaning, even if my kid wakes up early, I, I've been up earlier. And if, if I'm not in Shul Davening, I'm, I'm learning or whatever. Meaning, part of being a parent isn't just to talk the talk, it's to walk the walk. It's to say, lead a life which begins with a spring in one step, which begins with a sense of purpose and meaning, and to and to do that not just once but every single day. Oh, so, I'm, I took that for granted. But, Let's assume but that, that, but that you're diving every day and you dive it on time every day. But, but, yeah. Okay, that's but, good. The, the point you, is Dad. that is that too is part of the communication. Meaning there is oral communication what comes out of my mouth, but. A major aspect of parenting isn't just what I say, it's who I am or what I do. And that happens, let's say, every day. I, Johnny, and, I wouldn't even say that every day is I'm important. glad you said that. But that's still, both of you both said, we model, we encourage, we expect, but we do not discipline. Okay, so I'll tell you. And that seems, Molly, very postmodern. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I think the word that Johnny used that I really liked was identity. Right, that we are the way that we um, try to parent is to create is building an identity in our children, and the, and they're very they're very clear about how all these the minute expectations fit into a larger identity. Right, they understand very very well um, why we want we expect them to certainly daven right and and and. Uh, you know, it's also different. I, I do. We do make a difference between the boys and the girls, 
right? Um, and why there's a value, let's say, of, of, of going to, to Davin, Bitsibor, certainly on Shabbos, right? Like, like they, they, they are, my kids know that, right? And I, I think that, like, because that worked, right, that, that this, this is, I think Johnny described it very well, because, it, because it's very clear um, what the identity value is, when things are going smoothly and well, so then because the kids have, like, understood what the, that identity value is, they've, they, they've identified with it. And when they're not waking up, I know that that's because something else is going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but I totally disagree. I totally disagree. I, I have seen I, many, many times, you have many students who believe in dominating. Okay, I'm talking, dominating. I, but I'm talking about a, a, the, 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 the way... I'm but, not, but, they, but they like sleeping, and they're tired. I'm saying when it comes to, to the way I choose to parent my kid, if I would see that my kid was... was uh, let's, let's start with the, with these almost sort of easier. The reason my kid's not waking up in the morning is because my kid is out until... Three o'clock at night. The reason my kid is out until three o'clock at night is either for positive reasons that they're doing important things or because they're going through something emotional and they need to hang out with their friends, whatever it is. I need to look at my whole kid and I need to understand why they're getting up late. And if the reason why my kid is getting up late is something that I really, really understand. And, and that's where I said this is very, you have to really go down to the microcosm. And I believe that if my kid now as a teen is better served by my, my value being you know, our expectation is tefillah, and I want to make sure you daven, right? Because I'm seeing the big picture. Then, um, then that's what I'm going to go go with. I am going to expect the davening, and then I am going to say, "Have you davened?" Right? And I am going to make sure that the, that the davening has happened. But I might not push the waking up because I have a. I, I'd like. I, I think it's especially with teens. I'm I'm looking at a whole picture and and figuring out which battle is worth choosing and how do I create. Um, a relationship with my kids where, where where they feel a that they value and ident- and, and appreciate the identity that we that we are modeling for them and, and that I hope they'll they'll want to um, continue in at least many of those ways but b that we respect and understand also their individual needs I think that'll actually keep them more connected than if they feel not seen and not heard. So I just want to reply. Wait, I want to say I one more thing, which replies. is I think you're right. You could also have a situation where you need to be a little tough, right? I'm not saying that there aren't cases where you where you could say, Rabona Shalom, you're fine. Everything's fine. You're 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 doing well. Go to sleep earlier and wake up earlier, right? There, it's not that there aren't times when that's not the message. Uh, I disagree with you. Not there aren't times. I think that's the majority of times. I'm not, I think, of course, if All a right. child is going through something and staying up till three o'clock in the morning, I'm not talking about those times. Teens and time entire... wasn't writing about those times. Uh, the yes, norm but... has become... For them to be Fair, up till but two o'clock in the morning watching Netflix, ryth- rhythms, right? No, no, if you're up till two, teens circadian rhythms are anyway are later. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we've done. Stand okay, it. but in our issue, if they're, if they're up watching Netflix and, and that's all they're doing, then yes. But I'm just saying, you know what? It's been a rough ride. Corona has been rough, especially on teens. There's a lot. Again, now I'm just you know talking from my own personal like vantage point. There are a lot of suffering teenagers right now, um, and sleep disturbance is one of the signs. Um, it's like, you know, how are they eating? How are they sleeping? So like, you know, when I think about sleep, I also think about wait, what, what's emotionally happening with this kid. So I'm not saying therefore, oh, every, every kid that's sleeping late is probably, you know, nebuch and we have to know. I'm not saying that. I, I, I'm, I, I, I think that, that, that I'm going to go back to my original point, which is when everything is healthy and well and good, 
then you model and you encourage. And if, if everything's healthy and well and good and you model and encourage and hopefully they'll get up. If it's not happening, you have to dig a little deeper and figure out whether it's just as you're saying, um, and stam, and then you could push a little harder or whether there's something else going on. But it's also hard. And hindsight is always twenty twenty. And I just want to say like, parenting is the hardest thing any of us do. And none of us are going to get it all right. A hundred percent. I would just say my, my trusha is, my sense is that like Johnny said, we as we have changed as parents. You know, we, we know that we know that when children are young, the limits that we place on them, the restrictions we place on them, I believe, and we know, you can tell me if you agree with this, Molly, they give them a sense of security. And the more they, the, the, like without boundaries and borders, without limits, they'll push in order to give themselves that sense of security. And the more you, and for whatever reason, as soon as they, like, I don't, I don't know if davening is a good example, it may be a bad example, but for whatever reason, like at a certain age, and in the teen years, when they specifically, I think, are searching for boundaries, you know, and, and pushing against them and, and chafing at them. And when it's hardest to give the boundaries, we sort of were like, you know, okay, I have, ex- I, 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 you should, I expect you to dive in, but if you push me, I'm not going to push back. So, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. one second, Sorry. I feel a little bit, well, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, we're, we're, we're kind of saying, you're kind of, you're an adult in this. If you want to dive in, if you're going to dive in, you know, okay, that's your decision. You know, when you leave and you're going to decide to, you know, in university to get up to Davin or not to Davin, I have no say in that. And we're sort of, I, I feel like as parents, we sometimes want, we want early onset adulthood, even though it's certainly not, uh, not happening, almost in order to, because like, because the confrontation is, is very, very uncomfortable and very unpleasant right. as they so get I- older. As I've said, that's my pushback to you. Yeah, no, no, no. I agree with you. I, I think you're right. I think, but that's why everything is always going to be about balance, right? So, like, the image of of, of teenagehood, which um, I told you about the book. I, I hate you. Get out of my life. But first, can you please drive me and Cheryl to the mall? I think that's <laughs> title. You did. I did. No, I, you, no, I yeah, yeah. I think it's the best title for a book about raising teenagers there ever was, right? Because it's, that's what it is. It's exactly what you're. You're. you're There's when they're young. They, they, you know, those limits and they listen to the limits and you're the best parent ever. And the more authoritative you are, the be- you know, everybody's like, wow, you're awesome kids. And all of a sudden you're like, why are my kids rebelling? Whereas um, if you have a different balance of love and li- limits when they're younger, sometimes it's easier in the teenage years. But that's a different issue. But often not. No, no hard Sometimes festival. not. But right. why? Because teenage, because no, it's a question of what you're used to as a parent, how you're used to parenting. Teenagehood is about a, um, what's it called? A, like a tug of war. It's a funny expression because it seems like you're in a fight with your kid, but you're not in a fight with your kid. You're on one side, they're on the other. They're pulling and you're pulling. If you pull too hard, right, the kid's going to fall over. If you let go of the rope, the kid's going to fall over in the opposite direction, right? And so the balance of teenagehood is to hold that rope tight enough so the kid feels held, but you're still giving them permission to pull back and be who they are because that's their job. And, and, and again, what I, I didn't mean to be so dismissive and glib about parenting as young kids and older kids. It's because developmentally, when kids are little, their most important job is to figure out how to be a person in the family. And when kids become teens, the most important job is to figure out how to be a person in relationship to their peers. So they have to separate from their families. So it just, it becomes hard to, that, that adjustment becomes harder. Um, but, but that, I agree with you, you can't abdicate responsibility and say, I'm letting go. And I agree with Johnny said something very smart before, as usual. Um, it was really interesting. There was a seminary that, that had fewer rules than other seminaries. And um, 
they thought that the students would experience that as like empowering. And it turns out when they asked the students, the students were like, we feel like the administration doesn't care about us. And other seminaries, which were much stricter and had, you know, much, like, much more on top of it, um, the students might feel frustrated, you know, in the future and say, oh, you guys were so paternalistic. But when they were in the school, they felt very, very cared for. And we're talking about like, you know, 18 year olds, right? Meaning you're 100% right that kids, including teens, interpret rules and structure and expectations and discipline as caring. So I'm not at all minimizing the, the importance of holding onto that rope and pulling that rope. I'm just saying you don't want to pull so hard that you destroy the kid. Totally tricky. Totally, totally yep. tricky. Johnny, I wanted you to, you, you have something to say. You clearly wanted to add something to end off this uh, part of the conversation. All, all I'd say is we're focusing quite a lot about davening, but Marty rightly spoke about sleep and also eating. And to my mind, my interest in the welfare of my child, uh, both short-term and long-term, is not just pivoted around their religious and spiritual identity, but also just their health, their welfare. So in the same breath that I ask, you know, have you davened or I mean, don't forget to daven, I also make sure to say, have you had breakfast? You know, what can I do for you? Or make sure you prepare something for yourself. You know, not everything is in a silver platter in Mishpachat Solomon's house, but nevertheless, making sure that people eat breakfast is an important thing. And and it's it's essential that parents don't feel they have to be their child's, you know, rabbi or, or their teacher. They're the parent. And especially when you're a teacher or a rabbi, sometimes that identity can get blurred. But within the borders of my house, I'm dad, I'm Abba, right? And my my job isn't to, you know, hold that title. Instead, it's to make sure that my kid is doing well short term and long term. And within the same breath, as I say, of caring about their religious stuff, I'm certainly just caring about them. If a child believes that their, uh, their welfare is conditional on their religious obligations, meaning I only care about you praying, but uh, and, and, and only if you do that do I care about the other things. That's, I think, terrible, unhealthy, and, and dangerous. And so it has to come from a place of love. And, and real love, I think, is related to the moral world in which you're training your child, in which you hope you ch your child develops. But that love also needs to be connected to more seemingly mundane, but certainly essential things like sleep and like eating. And so a, a parent who seems to only be speaking about some things rather than others, I would humbly wish to whisper in their ear and say, be very careful. I don't think that necessarily is, you know, only your role on the contrary. You have, have a, you're blessed that. to have a child. Your job is to look after them. Sure. Sorry, just because I think that um, moves nicely into something I was thinking this morning before we started. This has been a very spontaneous conversation. It's got a lot of interest these days. But I was trying to parse out, like, um, you know, on the one hand, I do believe, as Johnny just said, our, our relationship with our kids has got to be based on unconditional love. Um, at the same time, so then I was thinking, but then where, where does my space come in where I say, but I do want to teach them values and meaning? And I think that, that, that kind of what I, what I came to was like, I need to want that for them, right? It's not that I, I want them to have, as I said before, character and, and whatever words you want to put that values, um, you know, a, a path in life, clarity about who they want to be. But it's important that I want that because it's what I want for them. Not I want that because it, because it, it, it fills some type of ego need in me, right? And again, that sounds so obvious and so simple, but 
it is not easy. Mm. And again, I just want to, I just want to say it's the, it doesn't get, it doesn't get easier as parents get older, as we all know, or maybe some of us know, you know, depends how old your kids are, because you know, listeners, how old your kids are, but like, it's, it's the hardest and most self-sacrificial thing we will ever do. And we're all going to make mistakes along the way. Okay. I want to, well, thank you very much. I want to end off this part of our conversation. We're going to take a short break. Come back right after this with a quick lightning round on card events or some part of card events. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Uh, lightning round. Molly, yesterday, uh, as we're recording, uh, President Joe, U.S. President Joe Biden is visiting Israel, making the rounds, I don't know, for whatever reason, irrelevant, uh, very nice. They have all these photo ops. So yesterday he received an award, the presidential award for blah, 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 uh, from, from uh, President Herzog in Israel. And at the award ceremony, I actually watched it live, there was a performance. One of the performers was, a, was a, an Israeli performer named Yuval Dayan. And um, after the performance, even though Biden had said, I'm not going to shake anybody's hands because of COVID, Biden is Biden and he wants to hug everybody. So he goes over and he shakes the male hand, who I don't remember who the, the male singer was. And he reaches over to, he sticks out his hand to Yuval Dayan and she very generously, she puts her hands down graciously and she says, thank you so much, but makes it clear that she doesn't want to shake the president's hand. And this is because Yuval Dayan is a very, very well-known in Israel, Choser Bechuva. And although she, uh, she sings in public, She's made it clear that, uh, that physical contact with men is something that is like a red line for her. Okay? And now, of course, fascinatingly, rather than talk about Biden's visit, this has become the discussion in the Israeli, uh, you know, we'll call it Twitter, Facebook sphere. Should she have the media? Did she, should she have to, you know, shaken his hand? Should she have shaken his hand? Everybody's got something to say. So, Johnny, what do you have to say about the Yuval Dayan gate? <laughs> Firstly... Um, I, I admire Yuval Dayan. Okay, let's begin with this, just as an individual who has very publicly uh, made a radical shift in her life and told her story uh, and shared that with her people over many years. And, and it's important to know that the, the country of Israel, the Jewish people, has an affection for people who oftentimes give up certain things for their values uh, uh, certainly for their faith. So I, I, I say this immaterial of the handshake, you know, saga. I say I, I, I admire what she what she's done over the years. I don't know that well, but certainly 
from the few in interviews I've watched uh, over time. That's point number one. Point number two, there is an assumption being made, which is, were she not to be a chazerat b'tshuva, she would be obliged to shake his hand. That's a big assumption, and as a number of people have said, uh, am I obliged to shake somebody's hand if they put them out? No, it's a courtesy. It's a courtesy we expect from people, but there are individuals, perhaps because of COVID, if you saw when Joe Biden landed in Ben-Gurion, rather than shaking anybody's hand, he uh, hand, was it hand pumped him, I don't know what you call it, fist pump. Fist okay, pump. so fist pump. So that, fist bump. But that's no, but, but, that, but here's the deal. That you know what like people protocol. aren't talking is about the 30 people who are standing on the red carpet expected to shake his hand and they put out their hand and he fist pumped, right? So, so people have choices. Joe Biden made the choice when he landed to fist pump people rather than shake their hand, which is his choice because of fear of COVID. She's made a choice for her own reasons. If it could, it could be a bunch of reasons. She's made it clear and she'd made it clear ahead of time because of her religious values that she doesn't want to shake a gentleman's hand. The question isn't so much halachi. As a number of people have said, you know, were that to happen in, in their situation, they'd shake their hand. I would as well. Wonderful. Meaning, in terms of uh, both halacha and halacha, when we're living in a, in a modern world, it's certainly not to cause shame, embarrassment, or discomfort. Wait, I'm sorry, Johnny, this is not an insignificant thing. If President Josephine, if President Josephine Biden re reached no, what, out to shake your hand... What does Halacha say? Well, Halacha says what Yvonne has done based on her own personal principles. Were we to replace Chazak B'Tshuva as somebody who's particularly concerned for COVID and whatever, we, I think we'd probably show a greater level of sensitivity. She'd ahead of time said, this is not what I'm prepared to do. She'd said it repeatedly. She said it courteously. And for various reasons, that didn't get through. In that moment, basically, she didn't uh, change her behavior because she didn't feel she had to. There was a, a certain misunderstanding. Somebody hadn't passed on the memo, basically. So am I going to criticize somebody who already ahead of time didn't expect this to happen, who's being very transparent about who she is, being very transparent about expectations, whatever we feel of it, and where a president puts out his hand just as much as he didn't in the red carpet, and she didn't react the way others thought? I'm not going to judge her because I'm, I'm presuming that every single one of us, when an unexpected moment completely different to what we've asked happened, happens, that we would react perfectly coolly in a way that others wouldn't judge us unkindly. I think that's ridiculous. So I say to, I say to you, Val Dayan, were, were I to be in that position, perhaps I'd have done things differently. But I wasn't in that position, right? I hadn't sent the repeated messages. The president acted differently to the way she's expected. And... She's just being her. So she's not doing anything different. What we're basically saying is when pressure emerges, people should capitulate to other people's expectations. I think that's dangerous. So while Jewish law, I believe, would say perhaps wisdom would have kicked in, especially given the fact that all the cameras are on you, etc., like that, I also think we need to be wise enough to say we want her. And good on her for being transparently her, consistently her. That's the whole point. She's saying, this is consistently me. And to be me, especially when the public eye, when you're inconsistent, leads other people to say, oh, how can we do this? Not that. She actually wants to be true to herself. And so I, I, I actually say, you know, you know, well done. And, and I, I support her behavior, even if I wouldn't have acted in that way, but I wasn't there to be able to stand in her shoes. 
So Johnny gives you Violet a thumbs I give up. her I give her oh. credit for just yeah. being herself. No, 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 Johnny. We're lightning round. Thumbs up from Johnny. Okay, so I'll say the truth, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this whole drama until this morning. Um, and then well, you uh, haven't been scrolling Facebook. You've been you've been, I, you've been watching too many live feeds on YouTube. Yeah, not enough. Uh, I guess I haven't been up to date. But yeah, so I saw whenever I asked some, my family what happened, and I was told. And then one of my kids said, "Leave her." Own. First of all, you should know, like one of my teens, like loves her, like you know, like she 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 is extremely popular among um, Israeli noir. Um, and one of my kids said, "Leave her alone. She's a choseret b'tshuva." Um, you know, it's sort of like what Johnny's saying, like, so she, she, you know, this is who she wants to be. It could be that you're right. Technically, either this is what she believes the halacha is, or this is how she wants to, 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 to live her life. Leave her alone. Good for her. And I thought that that's basically, he was saying everything that Johnny just said. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And then the other thing he said, he said like, what, like Yuval Dayan is going to like take over the airwaves, you know? And, and then he like said, and what about, and he alluded to a scandal that has to do perhaps with one of Joe Biden's children and his uh, social media, um, meaning like there. I mean, he wasn't saying that to compare different people, but he was saying, like, what's Ikar and what's Tafel? What's important? What do we talk about? And what don't we talk about? What's a story and what's not a story? And I think that that really is true also, which is like, why are we creating a tempest in a teapot about you know, I don't. I remember this happened at the Chedona Tanakh. Remember when, like, uh, years ago, there was a from girl from Chorev, and she didn't shake. I don't remember who there was. Perez. I don't remember who it was. She didn't shake his hand. People like drama. People like drama that has to do with religion. They like drama that has to do with interpersonal relationships. They like to be able to feel self righteous. They like to be able to weigh in on these kinds of stories. I think these kinds of stories that are about interpersonal, immediate choices that have to do with people's values. Um, I think that's one of the flaws of of social media now is that every little thing like this becomes disproportionately blown up. Leave it small. Leave it alone. Move on. Two thumbs up from for Yuval Dayan. Okay, I'm gonna chime in from a different perspective, similar to what Molly said. Interestingly, Alex Israel, Rabbi Alex Israel, had a post on Facebook about it today, where he's like, "Why are we even like the president of the United States visited our country, received the presidential honor?" And what he said that he, he considers Israel, what he said, he said it's uh, like uh, almost miraculous yeah, like, uh, or yeah. something like that. He said, what a, it's like a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, and then th this is all we're talking about. I happen to think the reason why we're talking about it, at least we're, we're talking about it because Israeli media is talking about it. And the reason why Israeli media is talking about it is because Biden's visit is so disappointing. Because it's, there's, okay, it's great, the president comes, there's no drama. He's not doing anything exciting. I think like the Israelis are kind of disappointed the way Americans are disappointed in, in Biden. You know, he, he looks a little tired. He looks a little, like there's nothing to talk about. He went to the Maccabiah. He got an award. Like even like there's no like there's no tension at all. There's no drama. And so like they manufacture, like, something similar to what Molly said, they manufacture drama. If there was a real drama, then then they wouldn't be talking about whether Yuval Dayan sh shook his hand or not. So I give Yuval Dayan a thumbs up because what the, the fact that we're talking about whether she shook hands or not means that there's so much agreement between the United States and, and Israel. There's, there's really eye to eye about these things. There isn't the like, you know, Obama versus Netanyahu drama that for them to talk about. There isn't anything real. So therefore, there's something fake for them to talk about. It almost reminds me when I turn on the news in the morning and I hear them talking about some Haver Knesset, you know, tweeted something annoying, then I feel, okay, 
like there's nothing going on Baruch Hashem in Israel. Like and so there, there's you know so therefore they have to manufacture something for us to talk about. And anytime you see these manufactured stories, the Hashem we know. Okay, Baruch Hashem, you know, thank God things are good and they should continue to be good. We should focus on the stupid drama and not on anything that's real drama. You want yeah, to add well, something, that, Johnny? What you just said very much uh, echoes what Michal Goodman has been speaking about. I listened to a podcast with him on Unholy just a couple of weeks ago about, about the invisible consensus. Fundamentally, actually, there's a lot of points of agreement within Israeli politics and between Israel and across the pond. There are always areas of sensitivity. But when you actually look at the headlines in terms of the immediate here and now, there's considerable consensus. And let's not forget what we didn't refer to is we've just had a change of prime minister, right? We've got elections coming up. You, there, principally, you could say there should be good reason for lots of drama. But actually, because of the gracious way in which Bennett basically uh, um, uh, t- came out of his role as prime minister, we could debate why, whether he should or whether he shouldn't. But nevertheless, everyone would agree there was a certain grace in what took place. There was a certain grace in the way Yair Lapid has stepped in and shown still regard for him. It means that president comes along and what may appear from some or may wish to be described by some as a whole drama actually isn't. It's a government trying to do what governments do, which is welcome leaders of other countries, one especially which we are so indebted to, and actually have normal conversations. So I entirely agree. There's so much invisible consensus. So this is what we're talking about. And I'd say one final thing, which is, you know, people are talking about what Yuval Dayan didn't do. What she did do is show incredible grace, incredible respect to him. She bowed her head. I mean, it's not like she was dismissive or rude. On the contrary, halavai, all people would behave that way. And I'm just going to reinforce what Johnny said. She said before, I'm not going to shake his hands. And then he's put out his hand. She graciously kind of bowed her head. I don't know if she put her hands together. If she had been a Buddhist, and that people would have been like, wow, what? Can I can I can I just say throw in a throw in a grenade before and and then cut off the conversation? Yeah, I just find it fascinating. Like, of course, she has the right to decide what her limits are, but she was choseret b'tshuva and decided she wasn't going to engage in physical contact. But kol isha erva is also a halacha in the shulchan aruch. I just I just want to throw it out there. She does for a job for her living sing in public. So I find that that dichotomy or that that personal choice fascinate I, I personally do you know i threw out the hand grenade johnny wants no, to I, I, well Maybe i, I next think week, if, i think when we return to johnny she, she, she has you know she sings and, and whoever wishes to listen listen that's one that needs to distinguish between the two all right as i said i threw out a hand grenade i'm more. not going to respond we'll we'll, we'll we'll come back i don't know i don't think next week we're it's we're on a summer schedule so if you're anticipating rz weekly um, when we return in September. I have no idea when our next edition will come out, God willing, sooner or not, not so much later. You can find us on Facebook. People have been finding us on Facebook to comment on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. I want to thank our Johnny Solomon for making the time, Robert E. Malibrowski, thank my son Kitache for making our music. I am Ruben Spalter. Have a great weekend.